Welcome to the Christian Church of Estes Park. We are disciples of Jesus, build generational, transformational disciples of Jesus. Of course, I'm Pastor Aaron. I'm glad that you're with us this morning as we continue our series on perspective, uh, finding our purpose in the big picture. And uh, as we get into the message right before that, just a reminder, if you wouldn't mind, take a moment, fill out your connection card, let us know that you're here uh, anytime through the message. If you would uh, like to l- share a prayer request, uh, let me know that as well, because we do pray for you each week, and then at the end of the message, uh, along with your tithes and offerings, you can drop those off at the back of the church. Um, As we go through our perspective thing, of course, we're looking at the bigger picture. What is God doing in uh, in our lives? The reason we do that, it helps us get perspective, right? Uh, Sometimes what we need to do is take a step back and say, what is happening here? And when we see the bigger picture, sometimes we can understand or see the, the purposes that God has for this crazy world. And it's been a crazy little bit in this world, hasn't it? And sometimes it's hard to make sense of. But, you know, the word of God really does give us that bigger picture, gives us what God is doing in in that so we can understand what he's doing so we can work with him. And uh, last week we talked about what was the purpose of earth, life on earth. Today we're going to take a little bit even further back. And what is the purpose of heaven and earth? And that's what we're talking about today. As we do, of course, remind ourselves of this great truth that we find in Scripture, Romans 8, 28. Uh, and so this is our memory verse. If you wouldn't mind, just take a couple of a moments. Let's say it together, and then we'll get into the message. So here we go. Three, two, one. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Romans 8, 28. All right, again. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Romans 8, 28. Now, I know that we've heard this before. You all sound like this isn't good news. This is really good news. God doesn't know any of us this, but he does. Isn't it awesome to know that right now in life, God is working together for your good? Yeah, okay, again, with some feeling, three, two, one. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose, Romans 8, 28. Last time to test. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose, Romans 8, 28. Yeah, isn't that powerful? Isn't it wonderful to know that our God is working all things together for our good, even in this life? And last week, we talked about that the purpose of life on earth is purification, right? Like, this world is a filter, and it's a filter that's, God allows all the people with all of our free wills to do all those things, and he's filtering out faithlessness. And you would say, God, why is he doing that? Well, I think the first thing is that God is, is creating a purified humanity. And if you're going to love God, you, love requires a choice. Otherwise, it's not really love. And so he created all kinds of beings. And he allows us to then be filtered out. To, for those who are actually going to choose him, God is creating a space for us. And those who, under their own free will, will choose not to follow God, he's allowing to be to this creation, this life, to 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 filter away, and, and we talked about that last week. So this, this world is about separating the faithful from the unfaithful. But you know what? We're not God's only creation. In fact, we're not the only sentient beings that God has created. In fact, there's another creation that God has made, and he's, it's heaven. 
that in, that in the word of God, we discover that actually God is the creation, uh, creator of all things, including heaven. And actually, in the word of God, there's three different heavens that are described, right? You have the first one, which is what we would consider the sun and the sky, right? We'd look up into the sky, and in scripture, several times it says, I look to the heavens, and, and we see what God is doing there, everything under the sun, right? Under this heaven. So that's, that's the first one. The second heaven that we find in scripture is the, the universe, the cosmos, right? And we say the heavens declare the glory of God, right? And God created this, the heavens and the earth, right? That's the universe, the cosmos, everything that's in this natural world. That's the second one. The third heaven that we read about in scripture is called the highest heaven, right? And this is the throne of God, right? This is that's uh, where God dwells. It's where the angels dwell. And this is the heaven, just for clarity, that we're talking about. Yes, God created all of them, but this is the heavens that we're going to be talking about today. And we read about that in Isaiah 66. It says, this is what the Lord says, heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. Where is the house that you will build for me? And he goes on to say, where will my resting place be? Has not my hand made all of these things so that they came into being, declares the Lord? It's, under, it's important for us to recognize that, that heaven wasn't God's like hometown. He wasn't like he was created in heaven or with heaven. That God created heaven just like he created earth. And just like earth, heaven itself can't fully contain him, although this is where he dwells. Heaven is his throne. Earth is his footstool. And God didn't just create this realm, this new creation, this other place called heaven. He actually created beings to fill in those places, and that's the angels, what we know of the angels. And so God created them to inhabit heaven, just like he created humans to inhabit earth, right? And so Psalm 148 says, praise the Lord. Who? Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise him in the heights above. Now, is he talking about the second heaven? No, he's the, the, the highest heaven. Praise him whom? All his angels. Praise him, all his heavenly hosts. Let them praise him for the name of the, uh, the, name of the Lord, for at his command, they were created. Now, I know this is maybe like Sunday school basic. They all of you always knew that God created angels, but it's important for us to get this, that God is not a creature of heaven because God is not a creature. He is not created. But everything has been created by him. So just as God created humans to, to have dominion over this earth, God created the angels and endowed them with authority as well, which is why in the New Testament, Corinthians, we read, or in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. In fact, today, uh, Phil did a great job as we, we were preparing our hearts for prayer. And he says, we don't fight against flesh and blood, people of this nature, right? Against other humans, all the political battles and all the interpersonal battles and social battles that we think we have to fight. Our war isn't against people, but against whom? The powers and the principalities. Who is that? The angels. Like humans, angels are intelligent. They are sentient, they are moral, and they are relational. And that shouldn't surprise us, because the same God who made us made them. Another thing about angels we discover is just like humans, they have free will. They're able to choose what is good and choose what is evil. And how do we know that? Because 
there are angels who are good and there are angels who are not good, which is what caused a war, a war in heaven. And there is actually an angelic war. I mean, just like humans rebelled against our creator, angels did the same thing. They rebelled against what? God's rule. Now, we don't see a whole lot in Scripture that tells us a lot about the angels because God doesn't want us to really be concerned too much about them. So there's very little (laughs) that we can read about this war and all of this. Jesus referenced it once. He said, I saw Satan fall to earth, thrown to earth like a lightning bolt. And then everyone was like, what are you talking about, Jesus? Now, granted, there was an extra biblical book, Enoch, that kind of talks a little about this that informed culture uh, at his time, kind of what was happening, and some would have tied into it. But really, Scripture didn't really talk much about that. But Jesus said, I was there, and I saw this happen. And it wasn't until John the Apostle was given a vision of the the end, right, uh, on the island of, of Patmos, which he wrote down for us, the book of Revelation, in which any of that was biblically described. What happened in this war of heaven? And we read about that. It says, Romans, in Revelation 12, it says, then war broke out where? In heaven. And Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough And they lost their place in heaven. And it goes on to say, the great dragon was hurled down. That ancient serpent, if you wonder who it was, called the devil or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. And this is what Jesus was talking about. I saw, he said, the devil cast to this earth, thrown this earth like a lightning bolt. Now, Satan rebelled against God's rule, right? He was unfaithful, just like people. Right? We've all chosen not to follow God. The angels had a little different, uh, different test. See, the angels are, were able to see God because this is where his throne is. And the angels could look at God and they could say, that is God on his throne. And they could see all of the benefits and all of the amazing things and all the glory and all of this. And the angels don't have a sin nature like us, which helps us because have you ever wondered if God didn't put the tree in the Garden of Eden, if, if humans would, would have never rebelled? Heaven is our, th- this is the solution. The angels saw God in his perfection. They didn't have a sin nature and they still rebelled. This is why the, the filter is necessary. So it removes that whole crazy concept like God set us up to somehow be destroyed. No, humans would have rebelled anyhow. The angels did as well. Every angel had to pick a side. This is important for us to get, right? It wasn't as though the angels in heaven just had it easy. They were like, okay, we see God, and just following him is going to be costless to us. They had to choose. They had to choose. Either we're going to follow God, or I'm going to choose angelic kind, and we're going to say angels should hijack heaven, right? And we should be in charge. They had to choose themselves and their own kind, or to follow God, to be faithful or to not be faithful. They have the same choice as us, different circumstances, Same choice. Interestingly enough, though, isn't it, that I imagine Satan would have said, well, the only reason any of the angels would have followed you, God, is because they can see you in your glory. And so what did he do? He created a world, a creation, in which none of us has really seen his glory, and, and yet there are still those who follow him. The brilliance of God is is just astounding. Also notice in this, who fought? Did God fight the devil? No, Michael and the archangels 
fought the devil. He let, God let the angels contend for the souls of angels in the same way he lets humans contend for the souls of humans. Now, I assure you that God is powerful enough that he could have probably obliterated the satanic forces in heaven, but he didn't have to. Michael the archangel fought against them. He allowed the angels to fight, and as we understand from, from this, that they cast them out of heaven. Heaven is now under the dominion and the rule of God completely, and all of the angels that are there are absolutely faithful, right? But heaven is still a scarred place. Heaven, like we think of it in our mind, I think is an unbiblical un concept of heaven. We think of it like this place of perfection. As there's never been a problem up there. Not true. Heaven is a place that had war. The Bible says it was a place that had war. Right? It was a place in which there was rebellion, in which there is free will, in which those who wanted to reject God did and had great consequence. And even the angels themselves had to fight against us. If you have a lot of people fighting in a civil war, guess who's affected? Everyone. Every angel that remains in heaven did so by a conscious decision to stay loyal to God. And everyone who didn't was filtered out. So something else we need to recognize is this, is that heaven, as we see it is not an eternal place. I mean, just like earth, heaven has a beginning and it has an end. And we read about that in the scripture, right? When talking about the end times for this world, Jesus also said, heaven and earth will pass away. My words will never pass away. And, and at Revelation 20, at the end of both the, uh, of time, right? We see the end of both, uh, that heaven and earth themselves will both disappear. And we know that he's not just talking about the cosmos, in that because it talks about even the angels themselves <laughs> will all be gathered and there's no other place for them to hide. It's, he talks about like even like how shadows disappear, like when you turn on a light in your room, that's how heaven and earth will disappear and then we will be in God's space for judgment. We will not be on their angelic turf and we will not be on human turf. We will be on God's turf for judgment. Both humans and angels, both good and bad, right, will, will still exist. Right? God created us, and we will still be around, and we will stand before God, which we just sang about, and the angels themselves will also still be around, and they too will face judgment. But heaven, it won't be there. Neither will earth. We'll be gone. So we'll be at God's judgment seat, and this is where we get to meet God. The wicked will be thrown into the eternal lake of fire, which is not hell, by the way. Hell is a prison, a POW camp. It's uh, talked about in Peter, like this is a place where they go, gloomy dungeons, where demons were designed to wait for their judgment. That's not eternal, but the lake of fire is. That's the second death, not anywhere you want to go. Revelation 21 then says this. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Why? For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. And just like in Scripture, we talk about there's diff three different terms that are applied to heaven. Do you know there are three creations that we see very clearly in Scripture? Right? There is heaven, the throne of God, what we call the third heaven, right? where, where uh, God's throne is, where the angels are. There's earth, right? So the first heaven, there's a first earth, but guess what? There's something entirely different. After heaven and earth have passed away, a new heaven and a new earth one which has never been contaminated, one which has never been corrupt, one which will not have an end. 
will come to being. And that's the one that Jesus is making for us. This is what we're going to talk about next week. It is phenomenal where you know what God is doing for us. But to recognize that, that the heaven that we think of, has a, just like earth, has a purpose. Right? Earth has a purpose to purify. Heaven has a purpose. And it was also, well, we'll talk about that now. There's a purpose in this. God designed heaven for a reason, and it's not as though he messed up. And we're going to talk about that next week. Now, oftentimes people who are cynics, and I would say choose to want to be a critic of God, which really you have to wonder about their intelligence at that point, because he is all-powerful and all-brilliant, but some who want to find fault with God would say he is a horrible designer. Because he created heaven and there was a war, and he created earth and everyone rebelled, he is a horrible designer. What if heaven and earth were actually doing precisely what they were designed to do? What if the creator of the universe never designed heaven nor earth to be eternal? In fact, isn't that precisely what we find in scripture? That before the beginning, he already had decided the end? So what was the purpose of this design? Well, we find these things in, in, in scripture. The first thing we find is the purpose of heaven and earth is preparation. In fact, that's the whole thing uh, that they're about. Both heaven and earth are designed not to be the end, but to be preparing us for what's coming next. That was the whole design, right? That he's preparing the angels in the same way he's preparing humans. He's preparing us for something so fantastic, so amazing, that we, we can't handle it yet, which is why we're not there but he's making us for that. So the third creation, the new heaven and the new earth, is what these two creations were all about. How do heaven and earth prepare us for the third creation? Well, the first way we talked about last week is through purification, right? That, that he, God is creating a community, a, a kingdom full of people who, and angels who choose to be there, who will not hijack the perfect creation from him. Right? This is the whole point. Like, uh, have you ever wondered the, the great mystery of how is it that we are going to be in heaven and not screw it up? Right? I mean, that really has been a debate. Because you're like, well, we're saved by God's grace through faith. I get that. But if I get to heaven, how do I know we're not going to rebel again? Or how about the angels? How do we know that they won't rebel again? They saw God in his perfection. Why? Because we had our hand on the hot stove. Every one of us has an entire lifetime of experience of how lousy we are at playing God. Now, God didn't allow the demons to hijack heaven, the first one, right? There was a war, and now God is still his law, his rule, all that. He's, he's enthroned up there, which is fine. So God created a creation in which this world was completely under the dominion of the created. Which is why God says, Jesus said that Satan is the God of this world, right? He's the principality. He's in charge of this air, of this time. How well is the devil doing at running things? Right? Not just the demonic forces and all of that. How well is he running things? Can he take care of nature? Right? If, if this is the devil's big chance, this is the angel's big chance to take over creation and make it work, are they doing a great job? How about this? He also lets humans. We've taken dominion over, saying we're going to choose our own right and wrong. We're going to run society however we want to. How good of a job are the created doing at running a creation? 
not well. Which is why those who chose him here will still choose him there. Because there's never going to be a harebrained idiot in heaven who's going to decide, let's rebel against God, we can do better. Because every one of us would slap him upside the head and say, do you not remember all of time? Let's give you a history lesson. That's never going to happen. We are here being prepared for there. There's never going to be a time in the new heaven and earth there will ever be a rebellion because we've experienced the pain of rebellion. Isn't that great? Which will allow us to be there and still have free will. It's not like you become a Christian and then all of a sudden you're, you become like this robot once you get to heaven. Why would God give us free will if he didn't want us to have free will? In heaven, we'll still have free will. We'll still love God. We'll have been there because we've chosen him and we've all paid a price. The angels had to fight against their own. Humans, we've had to have great sacrifice, don't we? All of us will choose him. So there's no more rebellions. But there's also something else that this world is doing that'll help us with that. And I know there's questions about this. Is that heaven and earth are here through sancti- uh, prepare us through sanctification? See, right now, you're like, well, I, even, if, even so, Aaron, a trillion, trillion years is a long time, and I'd probably do something stupid between now and then. So how do I know that when I get there, I'm not going to mess up? Well, guess what you have right now that you're not going to have there? A sin nature. And God is at work purifying you beginning now. Now, that sin nature is going to be ultimately removed when in an instant, right? But God is at work helping us through that so we don't have this broken sin nature. That's sanctification. So just as God is purifying a faithful people, he's purifying his faithful people right now. He's purifying us. Romans 8, uh, 28, which is hopefully you guys know since our memory verse, that we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and called according to purpose. In context, he's talking about all the hardships that we face in life, the difficulties that we have here. That we can know that God is working in these things, all of them. And what is he doing there? How is he working through them? Well, the very next verse says, for those God foreknew, he also predestined. What? To be conformed to the image of his son, that they may be the firstborn amongst many brothers and sisters. See, God foreknew your faithfulness. He knew that was going to happen, right? But what did he predestine for you because of that? your sanctification. You were predestined to be conformed to God's image. Before the beginning of time, God set it out in his brilliance, in his sovereignty, and this is a huge mystery for us. But he, before the beginning of time, set the very details of your life to conform you to the image of Christ. God is working all these things to that end. And these are the details of your life. That includes your sufferings and your hardships. It also includes the blessings and the good things that you've enjoyed as well. Romans 8.18 says that I consider then our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Right? This is why God doesn't always save us from pain. And I want you to think about this. Are your all things the same as my all things? Do you suffer the same things that I suffer? No. Are you the same as me? No. God has curated your sanctification from the beginning of time. Think about that. This is why you have different struggles than I have. 
This is why you have different joys than I have. This is why God didn't make me live your life or you make my life. This is how we know that the sovereign God of all time who foreknew you also forechose you and predestined you to bear the image of his son. He put you in your skin, in your time, in your place. You have and are going through, if you are in Christ, a curated sanctification process that began at the dawn of time. It was designed by God to shape you perfectly for what comes next. This is why I don't consider our present sufferings are worth comparing what comes next. God is doing his work in you. He's working all things together for your good if you love God and been called according to his purpose. And so God doesn't always rescue you from pain because the pain was designed from the beginning of time to prepare you for what comes next. It was the hot stove that you needed. And sometimes it's the blessings that also come into our lives are precisely what you need. So sometimes we pray to God, Lord, take these struggles away. But like Christ, we must say, but not my will, yours be done. And the reason that we can do that without having a horrible attitude is we know that if God lifts them, we give him glory and we see his hand in our lives, which was precisely what we needed to build our faith. And if he chooses not to save us from those things, he's going to give us the grace to move through those and he's going to use it for our good. In either case, we are being made prepared, not for this world, but what comes next. And this is why We see in Scripture, God doesn't always rescue us from evil. How many of the prophets died at the hand of wicked and and ignorant people? Pretty much all of them. How many of the apostles died at the hands of wicked and ignorant people? Pretty much all of them. If you were just stopping on this world, you would say following Jesus doesn't make any sense. But we don't follow Jesus for this world. And God was using their sufferings for their benefit as well as ours. See, God is working all things together for our good, which is why we recognize what I'm suffering today is not what it's about. I don't know, I know a number of things that you're suffering, because I pray for all of you. But I don't know everything. I know all of your hardship and all of your heartache, but I do know this, that what is happening in your life is the very fingerprints of God. He is shaping you today for glory. And it doesn't mean you have to enjoy what is happening, but yes, you do endure it with great hope. And regardless if you have a bad attitude or good, God is working all this together for your good. So why not be happy about seeing God's hand in your life? And the great thing about it is the devil can't steal you. For neither heights nor depths nor this present age or anything to come or angels or demons or anybody else are going to separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. He is at work in you. And the God who began the good work in you is faithful to complete it. That's even if you're being, you know, just a little turd and fighting against him. He's at work. That's why we read here, James 1, consider pure joy. Pure joy. Not contaminated joy we live in purified joy as christians my brothers and sisters whenever you face trials of many kinds why that sounds stupid because that's why i made it big there's a big because in that because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance you're like i don't want perseverance but it goes on let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete not lacking anything This is the end to which God is building you to. He's building me into that. We are growing together, mature 
and complete. And who is doing the work? God. God is shaping you, crafting you. Your sufferings were created and crafted and curated for your sanctification. God is making you complete. Complete for what? For this life? Goodness, no. I've never met a saint who said, well, I finally made it. This is where I want to spend forever. (laughs) Never, ever. This is not our hope. This is not our home. This is the place that we are being prepared, crafted, made perfect. God is completing and preparing us for the third creation, for the new heaven and new earth. And we're going to talk about exactly what that means next week, right? But know this, that one of the reasons we're not going to mess up that next creation is because God is at work on our lives today, making us mature, complete, not lacking anything. This is why we can trust God at work in our lives through good things and hardships and consider it pure joy because these things are the very things that you need individually to prepare you to make sure you don't mess it up in eternity. How cool is that? Do you see the hand of God and how much he loves you? How intricately that he has designed all of creation around your sanctification, so that you could be absolutely complete, not needy. So when you get to heaven, your free will will not lead us or anybody else astray. We will be able, finally, to live within that perfection and endure it the way that we were designed to. Which leads to the third thing that this world helps us prepare for in heaven, and that's this, that's our anticipation of it. See, just as God is creating us for through creation, he instructs us in this life by faith and to be faithful to prepare for it as well. Why, uh, in, in Matthew, Jesus says, store up for yourself treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Right? There are people who says you can't take it with you. Baloney, we can. You're not going to take this he- earthly wealth to heaven with you, but you can store up your treasure that's what we're to do. We're to take our lives, and the better we do this, the better it's going to be for us. So it's not as though we just wait passively and say, God's going to do his part in me and whatever. It's just going to, I guess, I just have to endure it passively. No, he wants us to be active participants in it. He says, anticipate the good things that I'm doing for you, and guess what? You can begin to live for them now, and there's benefit for you if you do. So how do you send it on ahead? Living a faithful life. That's what it says. Other place of scripture says all of our deeds are going to be tested like through fire and everything that was done for selfish reasons and sinful reasons we burned up like straw. But the things that we've done faithfully, they will result in praise and glory and riches. So live for that. God will reward us for faithfulness. So let's be faithful. First Peter 4 says this inheritance is kept for in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last times. Until uh, in all of this, greatly rejoice. Though now for a little while you'll have to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Well, that's true. But these have come, why? So that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise and glory and honor when Christ Jesus is revealed. That God is at work in our lives and he allows us to do the work of our lives to prepare for what's next. The anticipation gives the Christian life meaning and joy. Isn't it awesome to know that your faithfulness matters? 
that the sacrifices that you are making today for the kingdom actually result in something, will result in something tangible and good? That, that Jesus doesn't say, well, just trust me in this life, I'm going to chisel away at you, you just have to endure it. But he's given us something purposeful to live for. And the greatest thing that we can live for, if you really sit around, is, is, is when we worship God, when, when our lives center on him, that really is, is what he's calling us to. God doesn't create angels or humans, we'll find this next week, to be separate from him. The whole purpose was for us to have intimate fellowship with God, living our lives in community and communion with him. We have a privilege that the demons and the unsaved will never enjoy. We have fellowship with God himself. We work with God Our lives have the opportunity to revolve around God. And with him, we get to experience his presence now and his goodness now. Which means this, we shouldn't grow tired or weary of doing good. As Christians, it's not as though we take a passive approach and say, well, I'm just going to hang out till Jesus is finally done with me and then take me home, I guess. We engage with him shoulder to shoulder in the great work of contending for the souls of humans of going to the lost and showing them the worthiness of our God and the love of our God and the kindness of our God and the opportunity for them too to have it true, what we have said, that all things can work together for their good as well. But they need to love God. They need to be called according to his purpose. So how do we apply that? Well, I think we have here, we start with recognizing the purpose of heaven or earth is preparation. If you are praying prayers that you want God to somehow make your life on this earth some type of, uh, of, of paradise, this is not a prayer that God is going to answer. He's not created you to live your best life now. Praise God. It doesn't mean he, doesn't want, he wants you to be miserable or anything else. He is curating your life for your sanctification. When we understand that, our prayers change if it was about this world we would be like the pagans wouldn't we and we would always ask for god what would bring us comfort today but that's not what we ought to do nor is it how we ought to live we ask god what is it that i can now live in my life to be faithful to you in preparation for what you are doing we can join with christ then as he says take up your cross daily but without being sad and mopey all the time but with pure joy knowing that, that cross is leading us to the greatest perfection ever, that God is at work in our lives. So, the third creation is coming. It is inevitable. It was designed before the beginning. Everything this in heaven and on earth has been prepared to create and purify and sanctify a people to be able to live in that perfection. We're gonna talk about it next week, which is really awesome. But know this, it is coming. And it is worth it. And God is working in you. God is sanctifying the elect. He's helping us anticipate eternity. So what do you do about that? Well, on your connection card, I got a couple things you can do. The first thing you can do is memorize Romans 8.28 because this world seems so real, doesn't it? It seems so permanent, but it's not. Even the stars themselves are wearing out. The earth is wearing out, and there is a time it's going to end. But you're not going to end. And there is an eternity that is being prepared for you. Romans 8.28 tells us that God is at work today making all of this right. He is, he is making you mature, complete, not lacking 
anything. Memorize Romans 8.28 because you are going to face hardship in this life. Know that God is at work in this. In fact, why don't you just read all of Romans chapter 8? That would be a great place to go. If you want to read the context, the bigger picture, how God is at work in this, something else you might want to do this week is pray for faith. Everything I've talked about today, I can't show you yet because the big reveal hasn't happened. Right? We're taking God on his word on this. And it's going to require us to trust God in the meantime. That he's gonna, Now, he's given us a lot of good reason to trust him. Jesus came, died in, in real time of flesh. He, he, he rose again. History bears the truth of that. The scriptures have proven over and over again to be trustworthy as they foretold future events and have those things that the prophecies have been fulfilled. There's just a few remaining. We can trust him. It's a reasonable, rational faith, but it's faith nonetheless. And you're going to be tested and you need to be. That's the purpose. So pray for faith. We see so many times in Scripture that we are invited to ask God to help us. So maybe that's where you, you go today. Maybe this week you begin to say, God, I don't understand my life. I don't understand how you're doing this, but I'm trusting that you're working all this together for my good. Talk with him. Invite him in. Something else you might want to do is invest in eternity. And how does God tell us to do that? Well, it's through our worship. Are you centering your life on him with your time? You're here today, which shows me that you're on a good start. Are you centering your life on him with, with your talents, with your abilities? Are you using the gifts that God gave you to first build his kingdom before you build yours? Are you, are you centering your life on with your treasure, with the things of this life and this earth? Are you being faithful in your tithes and your offerings and centering your life and your everything that you have? Are you centering yourself on God? Well, in the areas that you're not, take another step closer to him. That's it. Live the life of worship. It's the greatest life there is. Hopefully I've given you all something to do. I know it's a big message because we're talking about heaven and earth. But take something today and work it. Let me pray for you as you, as you make those commitments. Then we'll uh, have a song of commitment as we close. Let's pray. Father God, you are the God of heaven and earth and the new heaven and earth. You are the creator of all things, things seen and things unseen. And though you are massive and though you are brilliant, God, you care for us, your creation. And you foreknew our faithfulness and you predestined us to be sanctified. Lord, that is a, a, a profound and a, a, it's, a, it's a humbling truth. Lord, we welcome your work in our lives. I thank you for the privilege of walking amongst the elect. Father, I pray that you would allow us as your people to work with you in our sanctification. Father, you purify us as you purify and sanctify us. Lord, that you prepare us for what comes next. Help us to live anticipation for what you are about to do. And in the meantime, God, let us not listen to the enemy who tells us lies about this world. This is not our home. But Father, instead, let us live for our true home, what is eternally awaiting us as we bring you glory in the process. Lord, we made commitments today. Help us to keep those in the way that brings you honor. Help us to, to worship you in spirit and in truth in every aspect of our lives. Lord, we pray all of this as uh, we ask your invitation of help in it, but also so that you would receive glory. We pray that in the beautiful and the powerful name of our Savior Jesus. Amen.